The idea of job security is outdated as a landline. If you haven't been in a search for a while, it's probable you will at some point, by choice or not. Most executives admit to staying way too long or sense what's coming and justify staying anyway. Here, there's another reason. The faulty belief that navigating to what's next will inevitably be worse and has to suck. Screw that. Lauren Greif has spent a lifetime in corporate and executive search, calling bullshit on stale career advice that most still use. This is Career Blast in a Half, the career podcast for executives ready to cut past outdated career advice to fuel your outcomes now. So let's go. Mm-mm-mm. I swear to God, this is like the happiest moment of my entire day. And there's a reason for it. And the reason is because I am here with Jessica Weiss. And Jessica is a happiness expert. Can you imagine? I always think like people that work in flower stores are also happiness experts. <laughs> what makes Jessica a happiness expert is that she understands that happiness is an inside job. It doesn't live out there in some fancy schmancy mansion or when you're driving some extra special car. Happiness comes from a certain place. And in today's episode, what we're going to talk about is where does it come from? How do you facilitate more of it in your life? And also, how do you get at it in your career? Jessica Weiss, happiness is here. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me, Lauren. It is my absolute pleasure to be here. Tell us. I don't know too many people that grow up and become happiness experts. So give us the lowdown. Give us the reason why you became a happiness expert and how that evolved. Sure. Okay. So truth be told, I am a self-anointed happiness expert, but I feel like it is perfectly suited and I love the title. So I came at this work from like a very organic place. I started my career as a management consultant. I worked with Fortune 500 companies, the J&Js, the American Express, the Citibanks. And I would, I started my work doing like organizational design and transformation and innovation and creativity. And a lot of that was around how can we get people to work better? How can we be more creative, more innovative? And at the heart of that always was, how can we do our jobs better? How can I love my work? And that was the stuff that always pulled me in. And it like was slowly building as a little bit of like an obsession in my mind. I wanted to know who were these people that loved their jobs? What were they doing? And how do we spread that everywhere? Oh, my goodness. So that's how I got into it. But truth be told, when I was 18 years old and I was in undergrad at the University of Pennsylvania, I was lucky enough to have a professor, Dr. Martin Seligman, who is actually the father of this positive psychology movement. And he is this fabulous guy who's sort of like a depressive and a misanthrope, and he's on the search for happiness. And his whole thing was, why are we studying what's wrong with people? when we can actually study what's right with people and build that from there. So the seed was planted when I was under an undergrad, like it was just like, oh, I think this is fabulous and fascinating. And then it kind of grew into a career based upon all of my work with these huge, big global brands. Mm. So I love that you have tapped 
into this idea about happiness in our workplace because it's one of those universal truths. I don't think anybody goes out to dinner to have a bad time. And I don't think anybody signs up to work in a job or career to think, oh, I can't wait to white knuckle it. So I really love that you are reaching out and trying to understand what it is that drives that heightened and desirable, forever craveable reason for being happy in our work. But you also talk about something that we've all gotten wrong, the misconceptions around happiness. What are we getting wrong? I mean, if we think that it's so desirable, you would think that we would know that there's so much right to it. But what are we missing? That's exactly it, right? We're all sort of obsessed with it. We all want to be happier. We think about it all the time. We're always doing stuff to make ourselves happier, whether it's self-care or working out, whatever it is. We all think we're doing stuff to make ourselves happier. But the truth is, we are actually really bad at predicting what's going to make us happy. A mother nature sort of hardwires us for like basic needs, right? It's like food, shelter, procreate, and that's it. So our natural reflexes, the things that we think will make us happy, are actually completely backwards. So what the science has told us, and this is now decades and decades of research, it's neuroscientists, it's psychologists, it's social psychologists, it's economists, it's it's like from every possible angle. But we've got decades of research now that our brains mislead us when we think about what we're going to do to make ourselves happier. So we need to actually retrain our brain, take on a whole host of new habits, And we can actually learn how to build lasting happiness. It's a real thing. It's not a feeling. It's not a choice. It's a real thing. It does require us doing stuff. It does require us practicing doing that stuff. But if we do all that stuff, we get happier. And that's amazing. So like the things that live in the, ooh, you've got it wrong stack are what? Like give us the areas where we have all gotten caught in the booby trap. Well, there you go. So here it is. We all think that the big house is going to make us happy. We all think that the brand new car is going to make us happy. We all think that that promotion or that salary or that title or the skinny pair of jeans, whatever it is, right? Or that relationship. We always think that's the stuff that's gonna make us happy. And the truth of the matter is, those big things, the happiness that we get from those big things is fleeting. It is fleeting happiness, and the research has told us, and I actually am a little pessimistic of this research, but let's go with it for a second. The research has told us that happiness from those big things lasts at maximum six months, and not more. And the truth is, I actually think it's significantly less than that. Significantly. Okay, so let's go with the Jessica Weiss prediction and say, okay, it's four months. And we'll say that. And so after that, are you back on the treadmill of craving next, 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 next? And well, thinking that's exactly that that's gonna, it. Yeah. That's exactly it. What it is, is it now becomes a moving target, right? Your happiness is now planted on something that is going to continue to move and move and move. So now, no matter when you actually achieve it, you're now focused on the next big thing because nothing is coming from the inside. Everything is coming from the outside. So your happiness will never be lasting from those things, right? From those materialistic. I mean, it seems a little bit trite, but the truth of the matter is when you think about it that way, 
We all think we're all conditioned to think this way. It's not even our fault. But when you think that, okay, let me stop looking for happiness on these moving things. Let me look for happiness that I can control, which is amazing. Like that actually, like I can control my happiness and it's going to come from the inside of me. All of that extra stuff is like cherry on the cake. Okay. So first of all, I hope that, because I'm guilty of this too, right? And so what I'm thinking as you're talking about all these things that I have also signed up for and go, oh, you know, when I do this, that's what's going to make me happy. Or when I earn this, me too. I'm right there with you. So what I think of is like, can I spell exhaustion? Because it's just like, even hearing you talk about it. Exactly. While I've heard it a million times, I'm like, get me off this treadmill. Well, that's exactly it. It's called the hedonic treadmill, right? We're looking at hedonism, right? We're looking for the luxuries. We're looking for all this stuff, but the treadmill keeps going and going and going. Oh, okay. So now tell us, like, bring it on. What are the three most important habits to eradicate some of this fleeting happiness kind of fairy dust out there and create those lasting habits. And why? What's that first one? What's the real, where is the real source of lasting habits of happiness? Okay, this one is my favorite. I say this over and over again. I say it in various contexts. I say it all over the place, but it is this. Friends are magic. Friends, relationships, social connections. That is it. That is the whole ball of wax. So if in your life, no matter what you do, whether you have friends that you have from high school, friends that you have from college, friends that you have from being a mom, friends that you have from work, which is a huge one for me, friends are the magic. That's where the happiness is found. There, Every single study tells us social connections are the key to happiness. Social connections will cure your depression. Social connections are the key to longevity. It is all in friends. Oh my God. Which is why I feel so happy now because (laughs) you and I have become friends through your TED talk, through your TEDx, right? And I, that's how I found you. And I got excited because I was like, hmm, I think this is really, really, really important because there is nothing to knock you off your square like going through a job search. Oh, absolutely. And that is a time, whether you have elected it, whether you've been involuntarily exited, whether you're thinking about it, it, this is not the time to start playing the hermit. No, no, no. And there's actually some interesting ways to think about friends in this particular moment. There's this thing, and Lauren, I'm sure you know about this, but there is this thing called relational diversity, right? So when you're thinking about your networks and you're thinking about all your friends, let's think about our work friends. And here we are, we're in a career transition. Whether we want the transition or we don't want the transition, here we find ourselves. So you're going to tap into that network of work friends. But the thing that's interesting about this work friend idea, when you're looking for jobs, when you're looking for new opportunities, it's actually looking at this circle really completely. Because if you want to find new opportunities, find new things to do, find new learnings. It's actually not in those immediate super close friends who are amazing and are there for you for all of the good stuff, but it's this idea about relational diversity. So it's the friends that you have from going to play tennis 
And it's the friends that you have that you met when you went to a conference. It's all of these kind of diverse, different, there's a million words for it, weak ties, whatever it is, acquaintances, less good friends. But in that moment, those friendships and those connections, that's what leads you to the next job. 84% of new jobs are found because of that relational diversity. It's those people on the outside circles who tell you about the stuff that you wouldn't otherwise hear about. Oh, a hundred percent. And we definitely talk about that through Portfolio Rocket because the horrible and disgusting analogy that I make that also is memorable is that if you keep going back to all the people who are in your immediate circle and who know you, who are also carrying the baggage of what they know about you, you will be drinking dirty bathwater because those people who have been on the outsides or you've lost touch with for whatever reasons, you want them to see you differently because otherwise you're just going to be in that same kind of incestuous circle of either all those people that know each other in the same industry or all those people that knew you just in that vertical. You want to be able to spread out. And those are also times where you get to reignite friendships. And this is actually happening for me in real time. I actually have like a elementary school friend who lives in Asheville. Oh my goodness. Shout out to Jane Stoloff. I mean, it's <laughs> literally like, I still remember her birthday. I remember playing basketball outside her house. I remember her dog, Casey. I mean, all these things. And now I get to reconnect with her. And that's a source of happiness because it'll make a softer landing. Of course. And the other thing, I love your perspective on this. And it's a really interesting way to look at it. There's almost an element of reinvention there, right? because you're not going to those same people who see you and know you and know the, the bad mood that you were in on Tuesday and whether you cancel plans with them on Friday. Now it's new people who know you, but you have this ability to kind of reinvent yourself in a new way. I mean, still being authentic to who you are and all that stuff, but I love the idea of being able to reinvent and to adapt and to change. So that was a really interesting perspective. I love that. Good. I might steal it, Lauren. You can have it and you can have the dirty bath water too. So one of the things that you talk about in your TEDx is that regardless of what job you're in, there are also two other factors that really drive that happiness. So I want you to tell us like what they are and what we can do to cultivate them in the job search. And also maybe even in your new job when you're onboarding and freaking out. So how do you access those? So there are two things, no matter what you do, it doesn't matter what your job is. You need these two like preliminary requirements in order to move on and then we can start to really cultivate happiness. But you need these two things and they are this. The first one is, is that your success has to be earned. Now there's kind of two ways to look at that, right? So I feel like immediately we say, okay, success has to be earned, meaning I got this job, I didn't inherit the job, my daddy didn't give me the job. So there's one way to look at it. And now another way to look at it, when you're in an organization, it is critically important that people get promoted and earn new jobs based upon their merits. So the system has to be transparent. It can't be arbitrary. It has to be out in the open. We all have to understand the rules of the system. So your success has to be earned. That's the first one. And the second one is this. And it ties into purpose. And I word it a little bit differently because for me, purpose is a hard thing for me to like wrap my hands around. So I say it like this. You have to feel that in your job, you are doing something for people that they would otherwise not be able to do for themselves. 
So whatever that is, whether you are a real estate broker and you're helping people find apartments, or you are a brain surgeon and you are correcting neuro wires, whatever brain surgeons do, but you are doing something that people would not otherwise be able to do for themselves. So those two characteristics are the beginnings of driving happiness at work. Mm, so you're really hitting a lot of hot buttons too, because while I see people day in and day out and going through what I refer to as the vending machine, right? They want to put their, whatever it is, resume out there or themselves out there as a candidate. And they put themselves in this vending machine and they think, oh, I'm just going to walk out with a Bentley. Like all of a sudden this is going to happen. And then when I get that J-O-B, that's when I'm going to be doing the happy dance. Well, that's a myth. It's not only a myth, it's fundamentally untrue. Yes, exactly. And you know what that brings me to? So once we've established these two points, right, that you've earned your success and that you're doing something for people that they wouldn't ordinarily be able to do for themselves. This next thing that I want to say ties directly into what you're saying. And it's this idea that when people say, I love my job, they didn't luck into the job. It's not that they walked into some situation and it was like, oh, you know, the heavens opened and oh my God, I love my job. No, what actually happens is those people create that situation. And what they do is they tap into themselves and they say, okay, what is the stuff that I am good at? What is the stuff that comes easy for me? What is the stuff I love to do? They take those things and they craft the job. So, and if this is not about changing a title or reworking a job description, this is, we're talking like everyday nitty gritty. If you want to love your job, you need to nudge it, adapt it, push it. You don't land in a job you love. You create a job you love. I swear, I did not pay you to say this. I did not prep you to say this. I know this to be true, primarily because 90% of the people that we work with at Portfolio Rocket say, God, I'm miserable. And a lot of the time, it's because they had no skin in the game to begin with. It was kind of like the drive-through window where they just come up and go, okay, here it is. And either a recruiter or somebody else just plopped this in and they put a butt in a seat. And so, especially at the senior level, especially at the C-suite level, that's not by accident. Right. No. And I think that a lot of us have been sold this bill of goods that we think we'll walk into this position where it's going to all be perfect. And that's unfortunately just like so much of what happens in life. That's just not the way it goes. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't have a wonderful, fabulous conclusion. It just means you have to do a little work to get there. That's all. Like the fairy tale doesn't exist, but a great end game absolutely does exist. But earning it is what brings on that fulfillment. If there's no, I use this term too, spiritual sandpaper, it's very hard for things to actually smooth themselves out. There needs to be some friction. There needs to be some effort applied to it. Nobody runs a marathon without effort and says, I did it. Exactly. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. And that's exactly the same exact thing that I'm saying about happiness. This is not stuff that happens by accident. There aren't people who are born with it. There's actually stuff we do. We have, and sometimes it's like counterintuitive and a little annoying and somewhat difficult and maybe not what you want to do, right? You want to come home, plop down on the couch, watch Netflix and not talk to anybody because you think that's what's going to make you happy in the moment. And the truth of the matter is you actually need to call somebody, see a friend, have a connect. Like it's stuff that actually takes a little bit of effort, but we all know at the end of the day, that's the stuff that will make the difference. 
So what are the other tools that you recommend? You promote it, you talk about it. Honestly, I've never really done this, but I am awfully tempted. And maybe it's because like, I am such a huge believer that you must also stay grateful in order to be happy. But you talk about the joy journal. So tell us why this hokey thing, and you admit it too, why this hokey thing works. Okay, I'm going to tell you. So this is actual science. This is not like, ooh, sit down, have an um, I'm a terrible meditator. I'm like horrible at all of that stuff. But this one is science and I love science. So this is great. Okay, so what this is, is what I want you to do every day, at the end of the day, I want you to take a journal, a fo- actually, I want you to write it. I, I need you to take pen to paper because there's neuroscience there too. So we'll talk about that one in a moment. But I want you to write down three things that made you happy that day. Three things, the smallest things, the most silly stuff you can imagine. Write down three things that made you happy that day. And there's a whole bunch of reasons why I'm telling you to do this. Now, Dr. Seligman, Martin Seligman says, if you do this in six months, there are fewer cases of depression. He said there are fewer people who are depressed if after six months, you write three things in your journal that make you happy every day. And I was like, okay, fewer cases of depression. I could get on board with this, but let's talk about what's really going on. So I said that our brains are like hardwired against happiness. And this is the big one. And this one, I think you will believe me, Lauren, and not believe in the hokiness of it, right? So we all have this negativity bias, right? So like 10 great things can happen to you that day. One bad thing, you'll spend the entire day ruminating on the one bad thing and the 10 good things go completely out the window, right? That is the negativity bias. In my TEDx, I love sports analogies. I love sports, it's a weird thing, but I love a sports analogy. I think it's great, it's black and white. So in the TEDx, I talk about a basketball player. His name is Chris Paul. He makes gajillions of dollars. He is like the best point guard in the league. He has won every kind of achievement that you can imagine. The one thing he has not done is he has not won a championship. Okay. This haunts him. He is obsessed with it. He constantly says the losses hurt so much worse than the wins feel good. Okay. So this, imagine somebody who has actually achieved all of that stuff, right? He's a professional athlete. He has won all the awards. He makes loads and loads of money. He is famous. He's all of that stuff that we talked about, but he is besieged with this negativity bias. So By writing down these three things every day, you counter that negativity bias. You allow your brain to take in the good stuff. By writing it down, neuroscience says we get to experience it all over again. So I know it sounds hokey. I know it sounds very self-care-ish, which is okay for those who like it. But this one is science. It is down to the science. So I challenge you to do it. But you need to take pen to paper. Yeah, okay. got a promise. So yeah, I did sense that Stuart Smalley was going to come in here and like give us like a little like why she we should do the joy journal. But I love the fact that you're talking about how to tip the scale away from the negativity bias, which also, of course, leads to great amount of fear and scarcity mindset. And this again goes back to the job search where I hear people saying over and over but the market is so competitive. It's like, okay, it is. And you're amazing. 
So you can have all the pedigree and accolades and all those things on your resume or any other place and still be obsessed with the fear state. So this is a really, really, really excellent free tool that sounds like it takes like five to 10 minutes and what an awesome preventative way to stay on top of your game. The last thing I want to talk about is something I'd never heard of before. And you are the first person that has put this into a framework that has offered a way to allow for the happiness to be integrated throughout each and every day. And these are what you refer to as day tight compartments. And so help us understand first of all, what is a day tight compartment? Are we in a day tight compartment right now? And how are they useful? Okay, well, we could be if we want to be. That's the good news. Okay, so this is it. So I'm sure you have heard of Dale Carnegie. So Dale Carnegie has been, right, he's written all these books. He's from the 1930s. I think his books, quite honestly, it's like How to Win Friends and Influence People is his most famous one. I think it's literally still on the Amazon bestseller list. So God knows somebody's making loads of money from it. But this is an example from his book. A lot of his stuff is kind of weird and a little questionable, but this is a good one. Okay. And it's this idea of day-tight compartments. And it comes from the world of ocean liners. So this is like a really great visual that I think the visual aspect of this example is actually what helps me, and I hope it helps you. Okay, so we're in the world of ocean liners. We're the captain of the ship. It's this huge boat. Some alarm goes off in his cockpit, whatever it's called. It's probably not called a cockpit, but you know what I mean. (laughs) So an alarm goes off somewhere. There has been a leak in one of the compartments. This huge boat has sprung a leak. These huge ocean liners have a process for containing the leak, right? These huge metal doors come down. The captain presses a button. These huge metal doors come down. This leak becomes contained to that one little compartment. And that's called a watertight compartment. By containing the leak to that little compartment, the ship becomes unsinkable, okay? The ship continues on its journey, continues to its destination. This leak becomes irrelevant. And the way that I like to compare this to our brains is this. If in your brain, you spring a leak, right? You have an anxiety, you have a worry, you have that annoying voice that doesn't shut up because God knows I have it. You press a button and you bring down the metal walls. You create a daytight compartment in your brain where you isolate that stuff to one spot, you keep on focusing on what your big goal is, and you let that little daytight compartment be isolated, and you continue on your journey, and you continue to fulfill your goals. So rather than letting the entire brain get flooded with all the crap, we keep it in a daytight compartment, and you continue forward with your goals. So that comes from Dale Carnegie. I love it. I use it quite honestly on a regular basis because God knows I have that voice myself, but I think it works. I love the visual of it. So it's, I I love the visual and people cannot see me like kind of like doing the Wayne's world. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy because this is the kind of thing that is just so valuable regardless of where you are. But what I will say, seeing this firsthand, you know, I always say I have an honorable seat of being in the first seat in the first row, watching people go through a massive amount of transformation and you get ghosted. 
put it in the day type compartment. You found out that for whatever reasons, they're not hiring for this role anymore. Put it in a day type compartment, focus in on other things. Oh, you found out that for whatever reasons, this didn't work out the way that you planned it. Put it in a day type compartment because those things like you're talking about have the ability to seep out and flood all the goodness and all the happiness. And then it becomes almost like a contamination or exactly. a deluge and you, it's exactly. a tsunami and all of a exactly. sudden you're in and that you're place. completely derailed from the stuff that you want to do. You've allowed one little thing to take you off of your journey. So there's no reason to do that. While it feels overwhelming and awful, and it does, just put it in that daytight compartment and keep moving forward. Oh, so why I love what we've been talking about is because you have really distilled for us the inside job, primarily the neural pathways and the ways that we're able to do this and dispelled a lot of the bullshit around the things that we thought we're going to be able to allow for that enduring happiness. The sugar high or the six months that comes from that thing or that ideal, whatever we imagined, is fleeting. So I want to make sure that we also get to some signature questions because we love those. And what I wanted to ask you first and foremost is whether it's on this topic of happiness and people want to explore more, what is the book or the publication that they should dive deeper into? If they want to really explore this, what's your recommendation? So there's a bunch of people who are talking about happiness in great ways, writing about it, podcasts, all that kind of stuff. So I adore Dr. Lori Santos. She teaches a class at Yale. She has a great podcast called The Happiness Podcast. I love it. I highly recommend. Arthur Brooks, who is also a professor at Harvard, writes a column for The Atlantic called How to Build a Life. He has some beautiful, wonderful stuff that you can glean and pull from. And the truth is, I just read, I'm in the process of reading a book called The Good Enough Job. Have you heard about this? Go ahead. So I think it was literally just published last week. And the gentleman who wrote it, I, I'm going to get his name wrong, but it's Simona Stolzoff, I think is his name. But the name of the book is The Good Enough Job. I love it. It is a fresh perspective on why work can't be our whole entire identity and why we've been sold this good, this bill of goods that once we find our purpose, once we find our job, everything is going to fall into place. And it's this fresh perspective. So I highly recommend it. It's an interesting book, given what I talk about, finding happiness and all that stuff, but I love it. I think it's fabulous and I highly recommend it. So those are three good places to start. Excellent. Excellent. So I am a fan of the post-it note, right? I always have a post-it note sometimes from me to me, right? <laughs> so, I do lots of me to me. Okay. Lots of me to me. <laughs> okay, good. I'm that glad I'm not alone. <laughs> Coming out of this podcast, what post-it should we be putting on our desktops or near our phone or someplace else where we can see it to really continue to build that enduring happiness? Okay, so the post-it note I would say is this. I'm deciding between two in my brains, but I think it's going to be this one. Friends are magic. I think that that is really, if you can start to really take that in, in your bones, right? And really understand how important those human connections are. I think that I always say that I have building blocks of happiness, but if we can start with that building block and nurture it 
and enjoy it, that's the great place to start. So I would say I invite everybody to do Friends Are Magic. Okay, awesome. And the last one is, what's your walk-up song, Jessica Weiss? Ooh, my walk-up song. Allie McBeal had such a good walk-up song. So I think my walk-up song is Happy Day. Okay, and remind me who sings it, because I think I know that's... I can't remember who sings it, but it's, ooh, happy day. It's a gospel song. I'm sorry. I, I don't sing that well, but I can't carry <laughs> a tune. Ooh, happy day. I love it. So that's mine. Awesome. Jessica Weiss, we will also make sure that your TEDx talk is in the show notes. Everybody should watch it. I know that you have some exciting speaking engagements that came out of this and so many more to come. Also, don't forget to follow Jessica Weiss on LinkedIn. She's also an excellent commenter. So with that being said, I cannot thank you enough. You've literally like put a huge smile on my face and I'm going to take it with me for the rest of the day and then some. So I'm so happy. Thank you so much, Lauren. People can also find me on jessicaweiss.com. That's my website and that gets you to all the good places that you need to go. I'm glad you added that. Thank you so much. And I will see you on the next episode of Career Blast and a Half. That being said, if you like this podcast, you know what I'm going to say. Write an Apple review. Oh my goodness. This is what keeps us going. And yeah, it lights me up even for more than six months. So that being said, appreciate all of you guys and your support. The podcast is really, really an amazing way to pass on a little happiness to a friend, a colleague, somebody at work, anybody that you know. It's just one of those easy five-minute favors that you can do. And that being said, have a wonderful rest of your day. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining today. We appreciate your listening ears. Big time. We ask this. Use these tools, not tomorrow, right now, and share them by spreading the love leaving us a rating and subscribe so you don't miss the next career blast in a half. Most of all, thank you for you.